Amen. Well, we do build our lives on the foundation of God's love, and when you think about the Scripture, from Genesis 2 forward, love has been centrally the central theme of what humans are supposed to be about. Uh, love on many different levels. So you think about neighborhood love, like love your neighbor as you love yourself. Just be kind to people, be nice, all the way up to full-on lifetime commitment marital love. There's a spectrum of love in between those two things, and all of those, all of that love has been designed by God, and part, and all of it is a part of your life and my life. Doesn't mean we're good at all of it. Doesn't mean that we're receiving it or giving it, but it means that that is part of our purpose in life, is to experience love. So I was thinking about how love songs over the years kind of captured for most of humanity, I don't know, just the passion of love or love lost or the problems with love or the, how the person I loved wronged me or whatever. You think most songs are kind of about that one way or the other. And, and there are some songs that have kind of risen to the top of our I don't know, like the pinnacle of culture or something, we'd say that's like a timeless love song. Can you think of one of those? It doesn't necessarily have to be a Christian song, but just a, a song that you'd say, wow, that song just kind of nails it. It's almost like any generation you're a part of. That song says something about love that your heart feels, your heart agrees with, or your heart kind of longs for. So sometimes I like pushing Trevor a little bit, hopefully not over the edge, but I like pushing him. And I asked if he'd be willing for the next three weeks as we talk about love to step outside of the worship pastor type of a role and get more into the love song type of a role. Um, like, I don't know, Elvis or Nat King Cole or something. And uh, Trevor's pretty versatile, so he, he can kind of shrug and go, well, sure, I could do that. Um, so we're going to find out. And, uh, and so I've selected three songs that I think set up the content we're going to develop from God's Word, um, just from different eras of history, classic love songs. So here's the first one. And I shrugged off the responsibility and had my wife lead in this one, so. <laughs> Figured it's appropriate, though. It's a love song.
Trevor and Katie, good job. Okay, so love songs. God has given us all different kinds of love to enjoy. One of the ones that I think really is central to our human experience, and all of us have feelings in our heart of romantic love, uh, that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. We'll, we'll, we'll cover all the aspects of love, but I, I want to zero in and specifically on what part love is supposed to play in our lives, whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, still too young to think about it, wishing you could think about it, wherever you're at. Um, how, are you, how are you as a follower of Jesus supposed to walk forward in love, recognizing that when we say the word love, we can mean a lot of things. We, we mean all the way love the person who needs some compassion in their life that you've never met, love the person that you don't like, love your enemy, and now love your best friend forever, theoretically, your spouse, all these people we're supposed to love. How does Jesus want us to do it? So we're going to talk about romantic love. It's Valentine's Day season. We're going to have some fun with that. Uh, but my, my prayer, my hope is that in this series, you'll come away with a deeper appreciation for what God's love is actually like for you and understand how each element of human love is designed to reflect something about God's love. So the more we love each other, the more we reflect God. And that's true at every level of love. So you look at the people that you kind of have to love, right? So you look over at your siblings and you're like, yep, we're stuck together. Got to put up with you. I'm supposed to like love you. Okay. Uh, well, you look at that person and you say, in some, in some crazy way, when we treat our siblings the way Jesus wants us to, we reflect something about God's kind of love, God's quality of love. Okay, then you, then you drag yourself into work and you look at your coworkers and you're like, oh boy, I've got to love these people. I don't even like these people. And once again, as you cultivate love in your heart for people that maybe you don't even like or people you just sort of have to put up with, uh, that teaches you something about the quality of the love of God. And then you think about your best friend and how you you love them, you care for them, you talk to them anytime, you do anything for them, that's great. And that teaches you something. And then you think about making a lifetime commitment to a spouse saying forever we're going to walk together sacrificially loving each other. That teaches us something about God's love. Okay, so all these forms of love are important and the Bible actually has a lot to say about all of them. So today we're going to introduce the logic of love and then over the next few weeks we'll unpack how exactly do we make this work? In a marriage relationship, how are we really supposed to get together and stay together forever? Um, in, a, in, in any aspect of life, how are we supposed to contend with the temptation that's all around us that can throw us off track from God's plan for love? Okay, so we'll start in Proverbs 30. 
Proverbs 30 is kind of an interesting proverb because it doesn't teach a whole lot. It's more of a, of a writer asking questions to make you think. Okay, so here's one of the things he says. He says, there are three things that amaze me. Now, four things I don't understand. How an eagle glides through the sky, how a snake slithers on a rock, how a ship navigates the ocean, how a man loves a woman. Imagine this old wise guy just kind of stroking his beard, thinking about things that, you know, like, okay, as a, if you're a scientist, I guess you could like look at those things and figure out what's going on. But when you think about it personally, you just go, they all sort of have a miraculous quality to them, something that is kind of hard to understand or explain, right? Human love is meant to be a joyful expression of God's love. So in the, in the sense that love does something unexplainable in your heart, in the, in the sense that love helps you sort of transcend whatever feels like it's natural or normal and like takes you somewhere else, well, that, that's actually a taste of God's kind of love. Ephesians says we can't even comprehend God's love. We can't even measure it. So you go, well, how am I supposed to know about it? Well, you look at the closest approximation to it, which would be human love, even though human love is faulty, right? Human love has all sorts of problems. We all know about those. Uh, human love, you know, pulls out our best passions. It also creates our deepest heartaches. Well, that's because it's so powerful. So we look at all that and we say, Lord, what do you want me to know about your love as I try to experience love as a human being? Now, bonding together in holy marriage is one way that we begin to understand the totality of God's love. So that's, that's sort of our premise. Now I want to throw out this statement and just see if you agree with it. You're being robbed. Temptation and the culture we live in is stealing what real love is from you, cheapening it, and replacing it with a very sorry substitute for what God actually intended in your life. Now, this happens at all levels of love, but it's especially happening with romantic love. Okay? The cheapening of romantic love is a direct and sad consequence of evil, and what's really sad is you'll miss it and you won't even know you missed it. So, why is that true? Well, our, as we think about what it means to be a human being and what it means to be richly loved by God, if, if Satan, our enemy, can throw us off course when it comes to love, we'll miss the actual purpose of our lives. So I think about people who trade in the forever commitment of marriage for a cheap thrill, or people who trade in the, the trust and vision of what God's kind of love is for a, a glance at porn. I think about how God has given us amazing gifts, and then we trade it all for things that literally don't even make us happy to begin with. And then we fall for the same traps over and over and over again. And then, and then we, we're driving in our car and we're listening to love songs that talk about other people who fell into the same traps over and over again, and we still don't get the message that there's actually a better way to love. There's a vision that God has for your love, not just your love, your neighbor as yourself, that's there too, but for your romantic love. And however that's to channel in your life, God has something for you in that but if you just float along with your friends, if you just go with what the culture says, you will miss it and you won't even know that you missed it. So, let's break it down a little bit. Uh, we're going to start today with one scripture in Hebrews 13 and expand over the next few weeks. So, you can go there in your Bible now. While you're turning there, I want to show you four Greek words for love. So, English, 
has one primary word that says love, and that's why when we say, hey, I love you, you kind of have to lean in and go, like, well, what do you mean? Because, like, I love tuna sandwiches. Um, I love the, the Cleveland Browns, which I've had a heartbreak my whole life over that one. Um, I there's all sorts of things you might say, I love that, I love that. And then you would go, oh, yeah, and I love my wife or my husband. You say, well, wait a minute, tuna sandwiches, sports team, spouse, is there something, is, are these all equal? Well, no, obviously, hopefully not. Uh, so in Greek, it was a little bit easier to communicate about this because they had different words for different kinds of love. So when you read the Greek New Testament, you would read what gets translated to us in an English Bible as love, but there would be one of these words behind it. Okay, one of the words is storge, which is familial or empathetic love. That's the love that you have for your family. That's the love you have for the person that falls down on the street and you think, you know, as a loving, nice person, I should probably help that person pick their things up. It's, it's kindness, it's care, it's connection on a sort of a familial level. Then you've got phileo, which would be friendship or brotherhood. We, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? The, that's where you would say you've, you've actually chosen to be this person's friend, and you love them a little bit more than just love your neighbor. You, you love them because they're your, your buddy or your, your best pal. Okay, then there's agape, sacrificial, generous love. This would be God's kind of love toward us. This is what we're called to when we talk about Christian love for the world around us. Say, give up yourself and care about others. So if you read the Greek New Testament, you see a little bit of more, I don't, I don't know, it comes in a different focus. For example, when Jesus was challenging Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was like, well, of course I do. Well, Jesus first said, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter's like, well, yeah, I mean, we've been together for three years. I followed you. Of course I phileo you. Of course we're brothers, we're friends. And then Jesus said, well, Peter, do you agape me? Yeah, that's a totally different question when you know what's going on. Because now, Peter, would you, would you give up yourself for me? Whole other level of love. Okay, then there's a, there's a Greek word for love that's not in the New Testament in Greek, but we can find it, we'll get to this later, in the Hebrew Old Testament, we can find its representation, and that is eros. So the Greeks would talk about eros love, that's romantic or sexual love. Okay, that's what, when Cupid fires his arrow at you, it's, it's an eros thing, okay? And so here you are, you're looking at your marriage, um, if you're married, or you might look at your future marriage if you're saying, I hope I'll be married. Which of those four types of love do you think you'll need in order to have a healthy, happy, lasting marriage? You're going to need all of them, right? So now just think it through with me for a second. If you, if you didn't have storge love in your marriage, what would happen? You'd probably be kind of snippy and mean to each other, right? Don't sideways glance at your spouse right now. Because you know, <laughs> uh, um, you, you, you might just think, you know, like we're committed to this, but we're just not very nice, okay? We're, we're not acting like family. Okay, what, what, if you, what if you have lots of eros and no phileo in your marriage? What's going to happen? It's going to burn out pretty soon, right? Because eros tends to be like, Super high on the chart when you first meet and when you first get married, and then like mortgage payments and child discipline beat all that out of you, and you're, you've got to have a friend, right? All of a sudden, you're like, okay, we're in this, and it's not all lovey-dovey all the time, 
like we have to actually want to be together and like having a conversation. Okay, what if you had storge phileo and eros, but neither of you agreed to have any agape? What would happen to your marriage? It might start out sort of okay. You'd be like, wow, we're having a lot of fun together. But both of you are actually in it for yourself. You're not in it for the other person. So what happens when there's a problem? Marriage is going to either break up or drift apart or something's going to go wrong. There'll be conflict because you're still in it for the wrong motive. So what you really need to have a solid marriage is you need all four kinds of Greek love to be happening at the same time. And when those bond together, um, when, when you experience all that together, you actually get the best possible marriage relationship. This is why marriage in particular is singled out as one of the premium ways that we can understand God's love. Because, it, for example, if you're thinking about you know, your best friend and they love you, they care about you, they help you out, does that teach you something about God's love? Yes. But that doesn't bring together all of this, does it? No, when all of it comes together, now you're as close as you can be to total love. And that's one of the reasons that marriage is so important, why marriage is honored, why marriage is sacred to us, because it's not like other relationships. It's designed to be special. It's designed to be holy. So you need all these four. You need to be able to look at that person and say, I'll I'll care about you. I'll enjoy you as a friend. I'll do anything for you, and I'll hold you and only you. And there will be times in the rocky road of life that the only thing that you're going to be able to hold on to emotionally is agape because they frustrated you, you're not really enjoying them, the arrows seems like it's cooled, and you're going, you know what, all we've got is this commitment, but we're committed and we're sacrificing for each other. And there's going to be other times in life when all these things come together and you're just like, I can't believe I'm living a dream come true love relationship. So that will ebb and flow throughout life, but as you commit to the Lord and to one another in a marriage, you're saying all of this is important to us. So here's our scripture in Hebrews. Hebrews 13, verse 4, says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Two different things. Give honor to marriage, whether or not you're married. And then, if you are married, remain faithful to each other in marriage. Okay, let's break that down. It's really important that we get because this applies to everyone. So this is not a marriage conference. This isn't just talking to married people. This is, book of Hebrews was written to all sorts of people, and here we're talking about it. Every age and stage, give honor to marriage. Marriage is something special. We all need to recognize that. And then if you happen to be married, you recognize you have an additional layer of responsibility in your life when it comes to love because you've made a commitment to be faithful. So NIV says it this way, Uh, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. And for me, even as a young man, I remember reading that verse, and that that thought really helped me. And it was just a visual, like just this sense that like if you think about your marriage as a bed, like that bed is important. You can't cheapen that bed. You're not supposed to put other people in that bed. You're not supposed to be imagining other people in that bed. That bed matters to God, and it should matter to you. And if it doesn't matter to you, you're, you're hurting your own self. You're cheapening the thing God gave you. So all along, I would, you know, as a, as a young person, I started out with my parents were not Christians. They became Christians. There's a whole story behind that. And then they started to live for Christ as I was a teenager. 
And so I was watching them work out all sorts of problems one to another because they were not perfect. Now, I'm not perfect either, but I got front row seats to people that weren't perfect right in front of me for my whole teenagehood. Now, I know all the teenagers in the room were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. My parents are totally fine. But my parents were unique because they had problems. So as they had their problems in front of me, I was taking notes like, well, what do I want in my future? And a couple of things I realized is I, I wanted to choose well at the beginning so that I didn't have to fight a whole bunch of battles later. And uh, so as I got older, I started to notice different girls. That I thought, oh, maybe that one, that, I like that one. There was a whole variety of girls, I would say, that kind of caught my eye or something. Now I'll like run into them in some scenario or see them online and I'll think, ugh, I'm glad, I, I'm glad that didn't work out, you know. Um, so I'm sure you... I'm sure you've had that experience, so don't, don't laugh too hard. We, we know. Okay, so then one day, um, here at BCBC, believe this, before, before I attended here, before I was a pastor here, literally the first time I came into this church was in 2003. There was a singles camping event in the gym. At that time, like the new gym, right? And there was a fake campfire, there were tents, and the plan for the singles group was the guys were going to sleep there all night, and the girls were going to come in and like roast fake marshmallows around the fire, and then at like 11 o'clock they're going to check out, and the guys are going to suffer through the whole overnighter. Okay, so, that, so my buddy who went here invited me to come to that. I didn't have anything better to do, so I went and sat down at the fake campfire next to Melissa. And I knew her already because we worked at the same office, but I hadn't really had like a personal discussion with her about things. And so, you know, we, the glow of the fake campfire and we're just talking and it just went on and slow motion, it was all good. I had all, I had all sorts of great feelings about that. I don't know that she had anything at all. Like <laughs> I was just another one of the annoying guys that was there. And uh, so a few weeks went by and I worked up the courage. At this time I was, I think I was 22 and she was 24. And I worked up the courage to ask if she would like to go out to dinner. And she said, I don't care. <laughs> That's what she said. So my, that was my first clue that like communication between guys and girls is not always clear. Because as a guy, I would have said yes or no. And it would have been fairly simple and straightforward. Thankfully for her, I don't care meant yes. So take notes for the future, okay? So, um, so we went out to dinner, had chips and salsa, went to Barnes & Noble, learned about each other a little bit more, and, you know, started to take an interest. So as the timeline went on, eventually we got more serious and started realizing, like, wow, it seems like we check the boxes for one another. Like, I, and re really starting to feel like, could we do more for Christ together than we could if we stayed separate? And we started to feel like, yes, like we like each other, but there's also like a sense of mission in our life. So, I started to get the visions of the ring in my head, and I don't, I don't know if every guy's like this, but I didn't realize that the day you buy the ring, then it's like your only thought is like, okay, when can I give it to her? So, you can't like buy it ahead of time and sit on it for a while, or at least I couldn't. So, I had it, and then I thought, okay, we've got to make this happen. And so, the, uh, so I, I scripted out this, what I thought was, I mean, maybe not quite Hallmark level romance or something, but, you know, I thought it was going to be okay. I wanted it to be a surprise. I really did. So I picked a day that she wouldn't expect, the day that she had a Bible study at night and I had another thing I had to go do. So I just walked up to her at work and said, hey, you want to just go grab some Subway before we head off to our other things tonight? It'd be nice to hang out with you. 
So she said, sure. And so that was my cover story, but I really had reservations at a nice place, all right? No offense to Subway, but it's not the right moment for engagement, usually. So went to the nice place, and we sat down, and still she really didn't know what was going on um, because we both had a time limit, like we had to get off to our other responsibilities pretty soon. And, uh, and so I had worked out the line that I thought was going to, like, turn the corner in the relationship. Things were going to be awesome. So in my head, this really sounded good. Don't laugh, but it sounded good to me. Um, honey, Melissa, I don't want you to be my girlfriend anymore. I want you to be my wife. I thought, man, that'll land really strong. That'll be cool. The problem is, another communication gap issue, she interpreted a long period of silence in the middle of that statement. Melissa, I don't want you to be my girlfriend anymore. I want you to be my wife. So in that, si- in that silence, in that few seconds, she had the opportunity to experience a whole range of unwelcome emotions. <laughs> and as she did, she then had to say yes to me as she was angry at me for making her feel terrible and afraid and betrayed and a whole bunch of other things. And, uh, and so thankfully, she was gracious. She still said yes. And I said, honey, we- I could try again. She said, don't bother. It's not going to mean the same thing. <laughs> try again. <laughs> So, meanwhile, I mean, this is in the era, and you know how this goes, guys. Like, one of my friends rode a white horse onto a beach in a white suit and got down on his knee. Like, people do amazing engagement things, and I just, I just think, wow, what could have been? But it didn't. It didn't happen that way. So, all that to say, um, I'm really glad I found her. And I'm glad I could make a commitment to her. So that night, of course, we, she did have to go to her Bible study. I did have to go do my other thing. And we were going to meet at the home she was living in. She had a host family that she was living with at the time. And we thought, well, it'll be fun to go. Like, we'll have like an ice cream with them or something, talk to them about this. We'll have time to call all of our extended family. And so we meet back. And I had been so nervous. I was literally having heart palpitations. Not just fluttering, but like, should I go to the hospital <laughs> problems in my chest? Um, so we get, to the, we get to the host home, and uh, we eat the ice cream, and we, you know, have some pleasantries or whatever, and meanwhile, I'm, like, feeling this, going, like, I don't, I don't know what I should do here. Like, you know, if you haven't had a heart attack, you don't know what it's supposed to feel like, so maybe. And, uh, and so I said at, like, 9.30, I was like, well, I think I'm going to stop by the hospital on my way home tonight. <laughs> I don't think was a great way to frame it. Melissa's like, what? You know, we, what's wrong? I said, well, I'm just, I'm just having chest pains. I just want to make sure I'm not having a heart attack. So she's like, I have to go with you. We're engaged. I said, okay. Um, so we go to the hospital, Memorial Hospital in South Bend. We sit there for a long while. It was one of those days where just the waiting and the waiting and the waiting. And, um, you know, and when they find out you're young, they don't, like it's not an emergency in their mind, like I checked out somehow. So then it was just waiting forever. They released us at 6 a.m. after I had had nitro for like just in case, and then some other something that made me like really loopy and not able to talk straight. And so at 6 a.m. we went to Bob Evans for our first breakfast as an engaged couple, having spent the whole night together. It was just super romantic, as you can imagine. So... That was how we, so thankfully, even though the little rocky first couple days of engagement, we made it, we got married, life went on, I'm really grateful. Um, And then I come back to this and go, all right, 
Marriage needs to be honored by all. That's me. Um, And it needs to be kept pure. So in just the next couple minutes, I'm going to intro this, and we'll come back to it in the next couple weeks about how we live this way. Okay, first of all, start honoring your marriage before you're married. The day you're married, your character doesn't change. Your lusts and temptations don't disappear. Those are things to reckon with with God today. Don't think marriage solves any of that. If anything, marriage amplifies the problems you have. So, that, so marriage is an opportunity to live together with someone in unity, yes, but if you need to do business with God, don't think marriage is going to fix it. Instead, start today to say, I'm going to honor my future marriage by being the right man or woman right now. Okay, another thing you might think about is decide to keep your own marriage bed pure. That starts before you're married too, where you'd say, you know what? From the first day, whenever, whenever we kind of wake up to these things, 11 or 12 years old or something, from that, as soon as I start feeling desire for marriage and for all that that represents, you know, you know what, Lord, I just want to have a pure heart. And to the extent that I can, Lord, I, I want to keep my marriage bed pure. The physical bed, sure, but also the bed that's in my mind. I, I want to keep that pure so that I, I truly set apart this marriage relationship someday that I'll have as so special something God has actually ordained, okay? The way that we can do this, reserve your sexual passion for your marriage, have faithfulness in your mind and in your body, and then really forsake all romantic interest in others. In, in old school wedding vows, we do say that, right? You know, forsaking all others to have and to hold. What does that really mean? Well, it means that, yes, there are still pretty or handsome people that are going to be in the world out there, and, and there's going to be a day after you're married that you glance across the room and there's an attractive person. There's no sin in going, there's an attractive person. The problem is, the sin is, if you break your commitment to forsake that desire and go ahead and indulge that idea. So what you're saying to the Lord when you get married is you're saying, yes, of course there's going to be other people that are attractive out there, but I'm forsaking all those roads for attraction because I've made a commitment to my spouse. So it, it, there's, no, there's no way that you would ever righteously fulfill a romantic passion outside of your marriage. So till death do us part. You're not supposed to be looking at your spouse going, well, like I kind of hope they're, I hope they go before I do so I have another chance at this. Like that probably means there's a problem, right? So, you, so start right now today and say, okay, Lord, I have made a lifetime commitment This is the person through which any passion I have for Eros love is going to go. And so, Lord, would you give me the opportunity to love that person in all four categories, bring all that together into a marriage. I've forsaken all others in that process. Choose to give your full romantic attention to the person that you marry. Okay, learn how to love your spouse as totally as Jesus loves you. So you think about Jesus loves you with patience, Jesus gives you second chances, Jesus has grace to you, Jesus understands what you're trying to say even when you're not saying it right. So, well, I need to love my spouse that way. I need to care more for them than I care for myself. I need to give them agape love. I need to give them eros love. I need to be phileo with them. I need to give them storge kindness and care as a member of my family. Honor the purity of others even if they don't honor their own. So if we're looking at Hebrews 13:4 and we say okay, here I am, honor marriage. That's not just honor your marriage. 
It's honor marriage overall. So when you see, if someone else is going to be unfaithful, if someone else is being flirtatious, if someone else is posing for porn, you shouldn't be engaging in that either because you honor their purity and their marriage or future marriage even if they don't honor it. All right, so 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, let me read that to you. It's just so powerful. And again, this is something I'm going to come back to in a few weeks. But when we think about the vision God has for you and I to be married, to have pure relationships that are filled with joy, here's here's what's written. God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God or his ways. Never harm or cheat your fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So here's what comes up when we talk about holiness and when we talk about purity, especially when it comes to romantic love and eros. People look around at the world and they perceive that a whole bunch of people out there are having a whole bunch of fun, and they wonder, does being holy mean having less fun? Is that what this means? That the world is out there and they have no rules, so they're going to do what they want to do, but here we are, we've got to follow Jesus and it's going to be really boring. Let me give you a different vision. Being holy means being set apart for something special. Being holy means you've honored your marriage, you've treated it as of high value, you haven't cheapened it. It's going to be worth more the more you treat it with honor. The more purity that you have in your heart, the more fully you can engage in passion in your marriage. The more commitment you have in your heart, the more trust and love you'll feel in your marriage. The best version of all of this comes when you do this God's way. So God created sex, marriage, and eros love. God wants us to honor it. It's among the most valuable gifts He's given us. That's that's why it's so powerful. That's why we're singing about it all the time, why we're thinking about it all the time. Yes, you were created with these desires, with this purpose in your heart. Instead of cheapening it, instead of rushing ahead of what God would do, just say, Lord, I, I trust you instead of my emotions, and I certainly trust you more than I trust Hollywood or my friends. I'm going to walk in purity because I want the highest vision of love in my life if I get married, in my marriage, and ultimately in my relationship with you. So the real equation is more purity equals more passion. More honor equals more trust. More commitment is more love. More holiness is more joy. I think about how if holiness means you're setting apart something for something special, the opposite of that, impurity or unholiness, means that you're saying it's really not that special. And so I ask you, your sex life, your passion, your heart, would you say that that's valuable to you? If it's valuable, keep it pure. If it's valuable, give, it, give the best of it to God. Don't cheapen it. Don't hand it out. Okay? Now, there's one book in the Bible that uh, legend has it. In the good old days, in the Old Testament, they didn't let the young men read it because it was so explicit. A lot of you young men are like, hey, I think I'm reading the Bible this afternoon. Great. Well, you can start wherever you want, and hopefully it'll have value for you. We'll start with a couple verses right here. Song of Solomon is a, uh, is a love poem written between a beloved and a lover. Um, and here's what they said. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. 
Its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. That last line, why is that true? It's because money is not nearly as valuable as love. So you could be rich and be super sad and have no love at all in your life, and you could be poor and have a very rich love life, right? The reason these two things don't equate, the reason that's true, is that when you honor marriage, when you treat it with the highest of value, when you value the purity of your heart, you start recognizing that is worth more to me than gold. That is worth more to me than the approval of the people around me or what the fame would say or friends would say or more than a fortune, uh, this is one of the most valuable things God gives to all of us. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have a past or whether you don't have a past, you start today and you say, Lord, I want to honor you with the passions of my heart. If you lead me toward romantic love in the future or if you're already in the midst of romantic love, then Lord, I want to be faithful in the midst of that. Marriage should be honored by all. And then those who are married, be faithful in your marriage. Question to end with, do you have the faith to believe that God's way is the best way? Everything around you in the culture we live in is going to tell you that that statement's not true. Oh, there's an easier way. You could just skip right to Eros and have it whenever you want. That's what the world would say. If you trust God more than you trust the world then I invite you to decide to honor marriage the way he does. Let's pray and let's ask him for that faith. Lord, you've given us uh, so much to live for, so many things to be excited about and joyful for, and love is one of those. We recognize you've called us to love people in many different ways, to love them as neighbors, to love them as friends, even to love our enemies. And Lord, we want to apply all of that, but then we've got this sacred space in our heart reserved for this special totality of love that can only be found in a pure marriage. So, Lord, would you help all of us to walk in that direction from wherever we're starting from, maybe from a broken place or a hurting place, maybe from a healthy place. Maybe we haven't even begun a journey like this yet. Lord, from the, the next step we take, I pray that it would be to honor marriage the way that you do, to keep our marriage beds pure, to keep our minds pure, to keep our hearts focused on what you want, not on what this world tells us we should have. Help us to trust you more than we trust our own emotions, more than we trust the culture around us. Lord, we want to trust you and unlock really the best pathway for life. We're excited to discover that in the season ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.